And we began to see that these politicians, all of whom are Democrats, by the way, uh, really uh, broke it down by race. And I yeah. think, too, when we take a look at it, to some extent, seeing all the wokeness that has happened in the Democratic Party, and I'm a Democrat, but I have called out my own party on how woeful it has been to see how crazy the uh, the complete identity politics, the complete race-based actions that have really mm. dominated uh, the party today to an extent that I don't even recognize it any longer. Hello and welcome to the Al and Phil and Scoop. First off, uh, as you can see, it's just myself, but uh, I want to say we have released My Son Hunter DVD. It's available. Yes, have a look here. So you can buy the movie as a streamer, download it. Uh, you can buy it as a gift, but you can also buy it as a DVD for all your relatives coming up to Thanksgiving, all your relatives coming up for Christmas, for yourself, for your, uh, show it to your nephews and nieces when they come around, show it to your children. Uh, let's get the truth about Hunter Biden out there. Let's look at the trailer, actually, of My Son Hunter, which is now available uh, for on DVD at mysonhunter.com. Let's watch the trailer. So I'll tell you what's going down. Do you know who I am? They told me you were VIP. Well connected to the government. What kind of a moron forgets to pick up his laptop at a repair shop? You're a Biden. Act like one. Everything he built, life, I just ruined it all. I want to know everything that's on that laptop that can ruin my erection. My friends, it's time to party! I'm an artist. Tell me how I can help you. Well, I don't deserve help. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've been through worse. You're the smartest man I know. Thanks, Dad. I just wish I could speak some sense to you. I'll never forget Corey Pop. He was a bad dude. No joke. Dad, we were talking about suffering. I can't seem to find anything but positive stuff on the Bidens. Who's the point then for the foreign policy in the Obama regime? Joe Biden. So it looks like you need a billion dollars. So the obvious next question is, where's Hunter? I can remember getting paid some money, but I can't remember what for. Well, my dad says we never discuss my businesses, period. Or my cut. What's happening in there? Joe's in on it. Party's over! <laughs> you had everything, Hunter, and you threw it all away. You hope the laptop will take down everybody with you. Get out! China's not our enemy. They're not bad folks, folks. I love my dad, and I just want to make him proud. I am the one who brings in all the deals. I am the one. The boy. Uh, that's the trailer. Hunter Biden, uh, played by Lawrence Fox. Directed by the great Robert Davi. It's go to mysonhunter.com to buy the DVD. We have it's a, actually it's a great show. It's a great show. We have a couple of really good interviews uh, covering a lot of issues from uh, Texas Civil War, Los Angeles Civil War, 
wedding registries, civil wars. Um, yeah, so first of all, what's on the show? Racism in LA City Council, surely some mistake. Progressives can't be racist, can they? Can they? Of course they can. You know, because if you make everything about identity, then you get identity politics, and uh, which is just progressives being greedy racists. You know, identity politics is really the, the division of the world among racial. The division of the world spoils by corrupt people among racial lines. That's what it is. So therefore, uh, racism is is baked into the into the equation. So we bring you the latest on the blue and blue civil war uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and talking of civil war, uh, now everyone is moving to Texas. Um, we ask, could you could they actually also be moving to a future foreign country? We look at the case for Texas, and of course, we have a happy wedding story. No, no, we don't actually. As Dennis Prager famously said, leftists ruin everything, and now they're ruining their wedding registry. So first off, LA councillors have been caught on tape speaking rather nastily about their fellow progressives. And of course, because they are progressives, it's all about race. It's complicated, but I also think it's very, very simple. To make sense of it all, uh, we will go over now to our interview. There's no one better positioned to tell us what was said, what what they were saying, and what they were really meaning and why they were saying it, uh, than Gloria Romero. She's a former California state senator and the Democratic majority leader of the California state Senate. So she knows the thinking that went behind these comments where they thought it was okay to call the two-year-old child, uh, the two-year-old African-American child of a fellow council member, uh, a monkey to minorities in their own community to, um, look we'll go over the whole detail in the interview so let's go over to that interview that i recorded just before we came on air so as i was saying i'm, I'm joined now by gloria romero uh, who's a former california state senator and the democratic majority leader of the california state senate and uh, she's now heavily involved in the school choice movement so has been really in in the corridors of power in in California and Los Angeles, I suppose, in and out for 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 decades. Uh, I think there's no one better positioned to really tell us what what happened and what it means and and, and why it happened. Um, so so welcome welcome to the show, Gloria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm based in Venice, uh, Los Angeles, Venice, California. I have some idea of what went on and some knowledge of it, but for all those people out there who 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 don't know LA, um, I will tell them that three council members and a Labour leader were caught on tape during what was a redistricting meeting to discuss redistricting, saying um, rather racially tinged, uh, let's just say racially tinged uh, comments about other council members, about other communities. Can, can Would you like to tell, say what they said? Uh, and then we'll discuss why they said it and what it means. I mean, first of all, let me just say that th- this was really horrific. What was uh, what was captured on tape? Uh, what was said? What was said basically in a back room, uh, never meant for public consumption, uh, but it 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 really tore off, uh, you know, sort of like the bandage which mm-hmm. hides and obscures how they say the sausage is made. 
Um, mm. The first thing that I would say is, of course, too, I did call for the resignation of all of the individuals involved because this is something that really is, I think, violative of the public trust, of good government, of, of just basic standards of decency and the, the characterization uh, that was used. Uh, essentially, for people who haven't seen all the news stories, this has become an international story, as yes. you know. Yes. Uh, basically, yes. this was the council president, Nuri Martinez, meeting with two uh, council members, uh, one who had just run unsuccessfully for mayor of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. De Leon, right. and yes. uh, Gil Cedillo, who had just been defeated in the primary for his own reelection. Also, this was not only just a labor leader, this was the president, the head of the very powerful uh, union movement in L.A. County, very well known and oftentimes feared in L.A. County and in the state of California. So you're talking about very, very powerful individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin De Leon had been the president pro tem of the California State Senate. He was an assemblyman when I was in the legislature. Yes. Later, he was elected to the Senate. Uh, yes. Gil Cedillo, I did serve with him as well. And I will say that, you know, it, it was very sad knowing these individuals. I didn't really know Nuri Martinez, but I did know Kevin and Gil. And, and I would say the first thing is, it was sad. I think they've done some good yep. work in their time. I think they've been very... Uh, very much in leadership, but it was painful to to go behind closed doors and to listen to what they were saying uh, on tape. Um, I mean, ostensibly, the meeting was about to take a look at redistricting of the city council. Mm -hmm. And we began to see that these politicians, all of whom are Democrats, by the way, uh, really broke it down by race. And I yeah. think, too, when we take a look at it, to some extent, seeing all the wokeness that has happened in the Democratic Party, and I'm a Democrat, but I have called out my own party on how woeful it has been to see how crazy the uh, the complete identity politics, the complete race-based actions that have really mm. dominated uh, the party today to an extent that I don't even recognize it any longer. Gloria, you may be reluctant to say what they said, and I understand that. And, and so I, I'll I'll do that because it'll come out of my voice. No one can clip this and, and claim you said it. You know, they... I suppose the background is that the, you know, the Latina or less Hispanic, look, I, I'm not an expert on this. This is my understanding of this, that, that the, Hisp the, the, the redistricting, everyone wants to grab places uh, to ensure their reelection and for fundraising and all. So there's a lot of tension between the Hispanic members and the black council members and white council members and all these different interest groups. And, Mike Bonin, who is my councilman, who is a truly appalling councilman. I agree opinion. with you. <laughs> yes. I mean, he has destroyed Venice. He has destroyed Venice. Uh, he uh, and his partner have a, adopted a child, a black child. Mike Bonin is white. And th they 
said terrible things about this little black child. Uh, they said that um, he was uh, he needed a beatdown. He almost destroyed a float. The guy is two or three, and of course, I mean, I know young young men of two or three. Now they're we have a little young man of two or three, and we call him the terrorist. Uh, in our we have him, he's a, and and we mean that as a, as a, as 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 a as a as a as a compliment but they're 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 quite the quite the people now uh these and anyway this child was misbehaving and they said horrible things of this child he needed a beat down they said that mike bonan used him like a designer handbag uh they th- there's also oh maybe you'll help me pronounce this oaxican immigrants oaxacan uh, oh, how's that what's that again oaxacan Oaxacan immigrants who and are they from, they're from Mexico and they describe them as little short dark people. Um, um, they also yeah George Gascon who's a terrible Los Angeles uh, district attorney he, possibly worse than Mike Bonin. They said he's with the blacks. Uh, they said um, they said. Uh, then, then they moved on to uh, to the Jewish community, saying the Jews have cut their deal with South LA, which is South LA is is an African American part of LA. So, they, uh, did I miss anything there? Did I? Did well, I think I... to even be more specific, uh, the council president did make a reference to the little boy as being uh, essentially a monkey, oh, using a word in right. Spanish. That's right. And that use yeah. of the term, I mean, that is the most horrific caricature yeah. that has been used historically <laughs> to describe African-Americans. So I think yeah. there was so much that was said about so many people, including poor yes. people. And how do you yes. kind of lobby to basically move out the poor people, move in the people that you want? Sort of this secret meeting in which people were described in the most base, horrific terms to describe their national origin or skin yep. color and then poverty status. It was really horrendous, all of their conversations. And also, even though not all of them said the same thing, there was never a correction, an objection. It was as though they heard everything and they acceded to the conversation. Yes. But I think really yes. the caricature of the little boy who is African-American as a monkey is just horrific and was probably the most racially, uh, 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 not only insensitive, yeah. just racist language that was used. No, you, you can help me there because you can describe someone as a little monkey, right? Or you can describe, I we describe a little boy in our lives as the little terrorist. You know, we, we don't, you know, it's not, we don't mean it in a nasty way. Uh, but that is a racial term in 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 Spanish, is it? Yes. Well, well, yeah. people can use it overall, but in this context, in in what they were yeah. describing, their yes. whole the whole thing was an, a lament about looking at race and racial mm-hmm. politics. Which, yes. by the way, I'm going to say is sadly, I think, a glimpse. We got a look yes. at how power is used. You know, the the sad thing is is that you know, I mean. And again, like I say, I'm a Democrat, but I'm just so disgusted mm. with what I've seen is how we've seen that that power. And, and we talk about unity and the coalition and the rainbow and blah, blah, blah. We saw in that conversation, it was all phony, that basically yeah. people go out in public and they talk and they hold hands and they say we're all together and the bad right wing and the bad Republicans and the bad whoever. But then behind closed doors, 
all of the power struggle to gain power and access in LA, it comes down to geography. And that because, because there is a great deal of segregation in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, we find that it becomes a power struggle over geography and skin color. And that's what we saw going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I didn't want to put you on the spot there, but I do want to be fair to these people, right? I don't want to use someone's, you know, uh, I think Roseanne, she, she, she described Valerie Jarrett as, as something. And she says she didn't mean it. It was, it was a different context. People do, people use words to describe people and it's take a different meaning is taken. But I, in the context, I, I've listened to the tape. In the context of the tape, it's clear that the, there was a racial element to this. I mean, I want to just follow up on what you said there. It, it struck me as very sad, too. Nowhere in this is anything about helping people. Nowhere in this is anything about, about helping the homeless. And, I, and when I say helping the homeless, I mean getting them off the streets and getting them into crappy houses somewhere or crappy accommodation and, get it, and, 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 and stop the slaughter of the homeless that's on the street. Hundreds of them are dying every year. They're committing crimes. They're destroying communities. And, but none of that is mentioned in this conversation. As you say, it's all about getting the poor people out of my constituency or into my constituency to help me or to, to cut this race off so they won't vote for me. Or There's nothing about going out into these communities and saying, vote for me because of my policies. Right. Vote for me because I have the solution. Um, he doesn't. Let's have a debate. None of that. It's, it's, it's a power grab. It's, and, and they want, they want, they want LAX in their constituency. And, you know, there's no votes in LAX, but there's lots of money there. LAX is spending tens of billions of pounds now on on construction. And believe me, I know that because I live beside it and I frequently go there. And you basically have to leave an hour to almost crawl through the traffic at times. Sorry to go on at, at length, but, but yeah, go ahead. But if I can add to that, you're exactly right. And also the fact that there's money in LAX, and even more importantly for thinking about politicians, it's that money means contracts. And who, who awards the contracts? The city council overall. And so whoever is the council member for that particular district in that, you know, wherever LAX that jurisdiction is, you become very powerful because you now get to choose which vendors, which contractors, is it going to be no bid? We've seen controversy on the mm -hmm. L.A. County Sheriff, uh, you know, with the L.A. County Sheriff's, yeah. the L.A. Supervisor as well in the awarding of, of, of contracts. So it becomes about ultimately campaign donations. A bottom line is they always say, follow the money. And that yeah. conversation, and I i don't know that we've even heard all of the tapes. I understand that there's nine of them. There may be more. We don't know all the period of time. But that, what we have heard so far, really just opened up the, 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 the window so that we could actually be like a fly on the wall and listen to what is said and how people plan and plot and deceive and disparage groups in order to gain power in the city power. of the angels. The LAX thing is very instructive because if they were actually, I could see people, um, you know, redistricting to get their people in to make change. Right. But, but the clamor for LAX shows it's all about power and it's all about money. It's not about helping homeless. It's not about helping 
property tax on you know reducing the property tax it's not about making the streets cleaner or, the, or whatever it is the city council does the, the desire to get who wants lax you know uh, and the answer is they want to give out these no bid contracts to their friends and their friends then give either campaign donations or help their not for profit that their families work for right uh, we've seen that too and uh, that to me is 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 you know i mean Dennis Prager famously said, you know, we shouldn't, uh, Hillary Clinton was accused of um, of saying something anti-Semitic during, a, uh, during a, a fit of temper. And Dennis Prager wrote an op-ed saying, we shouldn't be condemning people for their worst private moment. We should be condemning them for their public actions. You know, I mean, everyone says terrible things in private, or maybe some people don't, but, you know, we do, you know, we should, to me, the yes, the terrible things they say in private, they're pretty bad now. They're pretty bad. It's it's unforgivable. But then to be fighting over LAX shows that's to me that's a public action. That is something. This these people don't care about. Uh, they don't care about the, the, the homeless. They don't care about the people in South LA. They don't care about the suburban people in Venice. They they just care about stuffing their own pockets and gaining their own power and the next election. Uh, and they're moving up, uh, you know, Kevin DeLeon. I mean, he did well in the uh, mayoral election, too, for a, 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 for an independent. Was it mayor? No, the governor who was running for governor. He did well. He got glowing. Well, well that was, glowing I think you're mixing him up, though. We were, uh, that, that was Larry Elder. And I do want to point this out. Um, and see, here's where you find the hypocrisy overall. And first of all, you know, I agree. I, I agree with you. Mike Bonin, you know, was my representative. I've ended up not living in Venice any longer, but uh, was my representative. I was yeah. absolutely appalled. And there's a reason why uh, that we, including myself, signed the petition to get him recalled from office. Yes. He was, I mean, just, I just think uh, the worst example of a so-called yes. public servant than anybody I've yes. ever met. Having yes. said that, I don't support him. I do grieve with him that it was his son, uh, that was despicably described. Yeah. But here's the contradiction, though, and I do want to point this out. You brought up the, the candidate who ran for governor, Larry Elder, who is African-American. I actually yeah. supported him in running uh, in the recall election. And you may remember that right there in Venice, right in Mike Bonin's district, That's right. uh, Larry Elder was physically assaulted, not just called a name, but physically assaulted by someone who was dressed in a gorilla mask and physically assaulted. My daughter was there that day and friends that I had. And as they were walking with Larry Elger through the streets of Venice, Mike Bonin's district, there were dogs that were nipping at them. The N-word was repeatedly thrown at them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 my daughter and her friend, who happens to be African-American, were called the most ugly, sexist terms as well. And, and you know, I mean, this was a hate crime. The only yep. elected official who stood up and called it for what it was was actually Sheriff Villanueva. Mike yep. Bonin remained silent. So yep. I just find it hypocrisy. Here was the case of yep. a grown African-American man, and one day his little boy is going to grow up and be an African-American adult male. But Mike Bonin chose not to condemn that 
Uh, but he cried tears when his little boy was insulted and 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 hurt as he should have been. But there was nothing when Larry Elder was attacked. And so you know you find the hypocrisy. Some of these very woke politicians use race when it benefits yes. them. Yes. No. The saddest thing of this, you know. I'm being slightly flippant here, but to me, the awful one of the awful things with this is that it that it makes Mike Bonin look good, that yeah. it gives him sympathy. Mike Bonin has destroyed Venice. Mike Bonin has Mike Bonin has blood on his hands. Right. There are people uh, who are dead today. Uh, there was a man attacked in his wheelchair uh, by a homeless man. There's people murdered by homeless. There was, there was a guy stabbed in a Del Taco sitting a guy in a wheelchair sitting eating his ta in Del Taco. Two weeks ago, and a homeless guy came in and stabbed him in the neck. There are people uh, who, who are, are dead now because of Mike Bonin's uh, uh, encouraging of homeless to come here and, and then saying, oh, look at this problem we have. We need to raise billions to solve this problem. And again, giving out contracts to his developer friends to build affordable housing that cost $1 million a unit or $700,000 a unit. Who wouldn't want that contract? Right. I mean, it, it, it's so you're correct that that Mike the the use of racial outrage is very very selective for these right. politicians I mean I've forgotten of course because it didn't get as much publicity at the time uh, uh, I've forgotten about that I mean yes Larry Elder was attacked by someone in a gorilla mask I mean to me I'm a big debunker of racial hoaxes and if I'd heard that uh, described with I would say that's a racial that was a hoax that didn't happen it's, it's like one of those um Jussie Smollett getting attacked by two guys wearing MAGA hats in, in Chicago. You go, nah, I couldn't have. I mean, imagine a black politician getting attacked by a man in a gorilla mask. Come on. that, that It happened. It right. happened. It's on camera. And Mike Bonin stayed quiet. Right. Exactly. And so that's why now, you know, I mean, the, the L.A. Council, it's in a state of disarray. There's discussions going on. I think we do need essentially almost like a purge of this council because yes. we've had members who have uh, uh, been investigated by the FBI, have already resigned. They are, you know, going through trials. We see corruption. Mm. Even the mayor of Los Angeles, we find yes. him being investigated over you know, his his silence and his potentially not telling the truth over sexual assault uh, uh, yes. in, or sexual harassment in his own office. But yes. I, I do think, though, though, what's important, though, is that clearly Mike Bonin should not emerge a hero out of this. This is Please. somebody who, yep. thank God, he's going. Don't let the door hit him on the way out. Mm -hmm. You know, quite frankly, I mean that, of course, too rhetorically, not actually. <laughs> But but I think that uh, this is somebody who who there was a reason why so many of his constituents signed the recall petition. And yeah. at this point in determining going forward, I find it almost laughable that Mike Bonin is trying to call the shots on who needs to resign, et cetera. I've called yeah. for the resignations of the remaining uh, uh, members. But ultimately, I think that's going to be up to their constituents what they want to see them do. There is a recall yeah. process. And if the constituents in the first and the 14th councilmanic districts, if they want their council members gone, then, you know, hopefully they will start that process to get them removed if they do not resign uh, on their own. But for Mike Bonin to try to lead that charge, yeah. it's like that, that's not even believable. Please, please, let's not. I I just hope one outcome of this is not, that Mike Bonin is not seen as some kind of, um, you know, elder statesman who who uh, who, who deserves our sympathy. He, you know, he deserves our sympathy for what what was said about his son, but but that that is the extent of it. I mean, one. I mean, 
as an as you can hear, I'm not from around these parts from my accent. Yes. One thing that one thing that struck me when I moved here, well, you know, this is LA. Many things, you know, many things struck me, but was it was the corruption actually? I had never thought that LA would be as corrupt as it is. I mean, every week there's a councilman getting arrested. There's a, a Southern Cal- University of Southern California corruption. Uh, I mean, even Karen Bass, who is running for mayor. I mean, she, she was involved in something. You know, there is a woman who has pled guilty to giving out master's degrees to important people. And one of the people who got the master's degree was Karen Bass. And a $95,000 uh, scholarship. Yes. And this brings me to my second question. Um, when you get rid of, see, when you get rid of ideology, um, and you break, and I suppose maybe the Democrat Party now is all about identity politics. When you divide people up into identities, when you say, I am Hispanic, I am black, I am gay, I am transgender, I am Muslim, I, you know, and, and you don't, and that's it, right? I am a woman. Then then you then everyone then you have power between between different blocks and it's about power rather than ideology rather than policies and i mean almost these conversations behind closed doors are the natural follow on from that divisive in my opinion from the way the party has become the a series of power blocks a series of identities rather than an ideology uh, so and then when you have power blocks, you, you, it becomes about dividing the spoils rather than doing the best for the people. Am, am I right there or am I just I, I would just agree my... with you 100 percent. And like I said, I say that as a Democrat, that that what we saw uh, and what we are seeing within the Democratic Party is that wokeness over just basically skin color is destroying I think the party and we're going to see elections coming up in what less than about 20 days away. And we're going to see, I think, largely voters going out and with a rejection of this. Uh, you know, mm. I believe in representation. I believe in, you know, in affirmative action, but I don't believe in the quota. I don't believe in just simply saying, okay, you are basically uh, a woman and you're African American. Oh, and Asian as well. So great. You're going to be the vice president. Or you're going to get secretary of transportation because we need to have, you know, talented, you know, gays and lesbians. We're going to find, you know, the, the health and human secretary because you're Latino and I need a Latino in my cabinet. That's sadly what we have seen with the current yeah. administration. But it's happening at all levels, I think. And so, I mean, going back to it, I think this conversation, this tape really exposed what's going on. But it's not limited to this. I think overall, even though people go out and they speak publicly about unity and blah, 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 Sacramento, in terms of redistricting, uh, although we do now have an independent co- commission that decides mm-hmm. this, and that's what the local city council has to do. But then once again, who appoints the members? You yeah. still go yeah. back to having that. So until we get to real independence on how redistricting is done and take it out of the hands of council members, they can't mm-hmm. appoint or anything. We've got to figure out what's the best route to do that then we're going to keep seeing these kinds of very racialized politics. Yeah, I know. I think, I mean, I'm not quite sure, but I think Republicans are all for, um, you know, 
local control of redistricting and basically that that allows gerrymandering and i come from northern ireland which was a gerrymandered state <laughs> and there was gerrymandering was in we we in kind of a, we irish people invented gerrymandering gave it to americans and then we copied it back so i'm not i'm not a big fan of gerrymandering but i'm also for 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 issues of, of fairness but also I'm, i think gerrymandering uh encourages um staleness of politics uh, it, it's a very anti-conservative thing, actually, gerrymandering, because it, it, it knocks out the market forces that force people to listen to. I mean, why weren't they behind these closed doors talking about crime? It's because they don't fear getting unelected. They don't fear not being elected because they have gerrymandered and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, because they're, they're making sure that their power blocks are there and they're going to get reelected. They're not concerned about crime or fighting crime. Um, so um, maybe we should, you know, look at a, some kind of super duper, almost computer organized um, uh, redistricting uh, because it's, uh, it's, it does encourage this kind of behavior and thinking, in my opinion. Right. And I would share that with you. So I think that that's going to be the next step forward is what will be done. Let's see how we get through this, what's happening with the LA City Council. I think one issue, though, that we do have to look at is that to a large extent, I do think we need to figure out how did the tape come to be? Um, we have seen that not only, I mean, within the Democratic Party, there is a, essentially a war going on between yes. the socialists you know, the Democratic Socialists of America mm -hmm. and sort of the mainstream machine Democratic Party. That mm -hmm. is clashing right now. Yeah. Uh, we've seen recent uh, uh, opinion pieces, uh, writing Soledad Ursua, for example, has written about the rise of the socialists in L.A. And so there is a fight right now to basically take over the city council. And yes. I think the releasing of this tape, probably even the taping of it, uh, which, by the way, is illegal in California. Yep. So that should it be investigated. Illegal. You know, it sounds like those offices were bugged. We've learned mm -hmm. a lot, but but yep. ultimately, you know, I mean, there are privacy considerations that we should have and, and respect, I think, in the state of California. But I think it shows that there's an internal war going on with the far left democratic socialists mm -hmm. trying to take over essentially uh the uh the city of los angeles and i think this was part and parcel of that i, I would suspect that too and uh, yeah because yeah and you can be sure that the tips have you know the, the worst tips will be released yeah no i think you're right right before elections I mean, these yes. tapes were a year ago were made a year ago it seems wow. but they were just released a few weeks ago well so tell me what you're at now tell me what what you're uh, you're no longer involved in day-to-day -day politics but what what what's your project now school choice i believe i'm still working on school reform school choice i've just started a new uh charter network in actually it's in orange county called explore academy uh we have seen increasingly you know i believe in school choice i was the chair of the education committee in the california state senate and basically we assign kids based on zip code where they live and so even if a school is identified as chronically underperforming. That just means failing, quite frankly. Yeah. We still force kids to go there, even when that school is not performing. And, and we mm. can look at the data, et cetera. So that's my major issue. I'm still working on that. Would love to see some major changes come about with introduction of opportunity scholarships and others in California. Additionally, and let me just uh, uh, turn over here, mm. 
I, uh, I recently wrote a book. I'll hold it up right here. Okay. Urge your members, uh, listeners to read. It's called Just Not That Likeable, The Price mm-hmm. All Women Pay for Gender Bias. And so I write about women in power, women uh, as executives, women in political spheres, women in the educational arena as well, that the more, uh, the, the higher up the ladder we go, uh, women begin to get attributed characteristics as being, you know, uh, whereas a male might be seen as being a leader, assertive, women, quite frankly, get called a, b- you know, that we're aggressive, mm. not that likable. And so I, I lay it out. And so I would encourage people to read it. It's available on Amazon.com. So that's okay, what just I'm not doing, like- writing and, and, and doing reform still on education. So it's book is just not that likable by Gloria Romero, available in all good uh, online bookstores, I'm sure. Um, and where can people uh, Twitter? Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter uh, at Gloria J Romero. One thing that struck me was how little I knew about the city council members. You know, these are, these are people. They they're not out getting my vote. They're not out earning votes. They're out earning, uh, they're out, they redress districts to ensure they get vote, voted. And the b- people they care about are the vendors who build LAX. They don't care about my vote. You never see them from one day to the next in, in the districts. And no one knows their names. I knew Kevin DeLeon because I'd read a, a gushing rev- uh, profile of him. I think, did he, did he run, did he run for governor or? or he ran for uh, mayor of uh, the city mayor. of Los Angeles. He had run before for the against Diane Feinstein for United States Senator. Okay. And remember, he was just elected to the city council when right away he decided to run for mayor of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big mistake, but I think yeah. sometimes you get big egos. Yes, well, see, when you if you have lack of challenge, if everyone tells you you're wonderful and you get reelected without doing any work, then why wouldn't you go uh, to, to the next level? And I suppose that's probably why we have Kamala Harris as uh, vice president right now. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so thank you very much, Miss Romero, and we hope to talk to you again. Soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Well, there you have it. As I say, if if everything. It, it racism is the I was going to say the inevitable outcome of identity politics. It's not. It's actually the beginning of identity politics. If you divide society among racial lines, you divide politics on racial lines, not on ideas. Then it just becomes a power grab and a division of spoils. I think that's why there's so much corruption. That was one of the things that surprised me about Los Angeles City Council was you had all these progressives who were incredibly corrupt. Uh, I mean, even Karen Bass, who's running for mayor, she was touted as a future vice president the last time around. She received a free master's in social policy from the University of Southern California, I think. Yep. And the person who gave that has just been pled guilty to corruption for giving another prominent member of the community a free master's. uh, for for favors for the school of social policy, and I mean the, the, the corruption is it's it's both petty and it's massive, it's mind boggling the corruption, um, and I think that comes because of the progressive idea of identity politics because suddenly it becomes about grabbing the spoils for your community as opposed to helping your helping everyone in your community it encourages it encourages corruption rather than uh rather than solves it and now um 
this interview is fun, but uh, but careful, by the way, uh, what you laugh at. A lot of things we used to laugh at are, are now happening. Uh, so Daniel Miller is leading the movement for the secession of Texas from the Union. Uh, I wanted him to state his case because everyone I know is moving to Texas. So I want to know, will I need my passport to go and visit them? Uh, um, and we also discuss the surprising people who will be the most vigorous opponents uh, of Texas. And we also ask, you know, can they keep the lights on? Uh, which is is not a joke, actually, because don't forget, uh, the lights did go off in Texas not so long ago. Uh, so let's let's go over that interview now. So I'm joined now by Daniel Miller. Very happy to have Daniel on the show. He's the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement and been a, an outspoken advocate for Texas independence since since the 90s. Um, the reason we have him on is because of his book, Texas. It's called Texas. Uh, why and how Texas will leave the Union, which is a very controversial uh, book title. Um, um, so welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So for those who don't understand, I know because of my British UK background, what Texas means and where it comes from. Tell them what the word Texas means and what, what its origins first. Let's start off with that. You know, for, for those that are familiar with the, the term Brexit, uh, Texas is no different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Brexit referring to Britain's exit from the European Union, uh, Texas uh, talking about Texas uh, withdrawing from the Union, becoming a self-governing independent nation. And you know, the first time we, we really saw the, the mashup of those two was uh, many years ago during the, the Greek Euro crisis. Uh, mm -hmm. When there was a lot of talk about Greece exiting the euro and uh, you know reinstituting the drachma, uh, but it, it really took on sort of that that exit portmanteau uh, when Britain began to talk about withdrawing from the European Union, and so exit has been appended to pretty much uh, every uh, type of exit you could possibly mm -hmm. imagine. Uh, you know, we're talking here about Texas. We see California Cal exit. We see Flexit for Florida. Uh, plus, you know, any number of Eurosceptic movements uh, that are happening right now where they're talking about withdrawing. So that's essentially where it comes from. Uh, yeah. You know, in our case, Texas is just uh, us talking about Texas reasserting its status as an independent nation. Yeah, I mean, reasserting its status, I suppose. I'm not a, I'm not a huge uh, American history buff, but I suppose, was Texas an independent nation at one stage? It, it was. Uh, from about 1836 to 1845, uh, Texas was known as the Republic of Texas and uh, had international relations with uh, you know other countries around the world, operated functionally as an independent nation before it entered the Union. But you know this is this is really, uh, I think, the important issue that people need to understand, particularly here in the United States. Uh, when when we're talking about states and their relationship with the federal government, there is this misconception that exists that's not rooted in the Constitution or the history of the United States as an institution at all, and that's that the federal government somehow created the states and the states are creatures of the federal system. And that's just not the case at all. <clears throat> it never was the case from the the the, uh, the framers of the Constitution, uh, and it wasn't the case um, all the way through the history, and it just people began to act uh, in, in more recent years, over the last, say, 100 years, as though that were the case. Uh, what what you have to remember is that the United States of America as a political and economic institution is functionally no different than political and economic unions around the world. Mm. Uh, states created the union 
they uh, it's it's very clear when you begin to read Article One, Section Ten of the U.S. Constitution, when you begin to look at say the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, that states are functionally sovereign entities. I've, I've again, I've even a lot of questions about that. But just to let <laughs> just to, to to tell people, you know. You may think this is a ludicrous idea, a radical, you know, it never happened. Look, they said that about Brexit, the idea. I mean, I, I agree with you. There's this idea, it seems to be a, I think, I can't remember who said it, but it's it's one of my favorite scenes. The, the illusion of permanency is the folly of every age. You know, every, yeah. every, we all think this is how it's going to be. And we all also always think, that it's going to move forward along this line, right? Now, Brexit showed that, that the illusion of permanence, permanency was a folly. Uh, you know, the, just because something has been that way does not mean it will always be that way, and it can change very, very quickly. So with with that said, um, I mean, again, as I say, my history isn't my strong, American history isn't my strongest point, but... Wasn't there a, a, a small internal conflict about this very issue? Um, and about the uh, what a diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> uh, you know, some I, I believe there was a couple of skirmishes, uh, insurrections, or riots, or whatever you want to call them. I don't know what they called them then. Yeah, we we refer to it as the great nineteenth century kerfuffle. So mm-hmm. uh, no, look, and and the thing that I think people need to understand is that. You know, this this issue that you're seeing popping up right now is not some sequel or repeat of what happened in the 19th century. Right. And, you know, we we have uh, critics of the the issue uh, counter with that. They, they want to return back to the 19th century. But what I do is is I, I remind them that they're the ones that are stuck in the past here. Uh, you know, you look at the end of World War Two there were roughly 54 recognized, fully governing, self-governing uh, nations around the world. And by the end of the 20th century, there were 192. Uh, mm-hmm. Those countries didn't fall yeah. from space. The earth didn't get any bigger. Uh, what, yeah. what we had was at, at the midpoint of the 20th century, this real, um, I guess, very clear expression of the right of self-determination for people and the right of self-government. And, and oddly enough, it's really rooted in some of the Jeffersonian principles that that led the colonies to withdraw from the United Kingdom, uh, from Great Britain, and and mm-hmm. so you know it's it's actually a touchstone back to those Jeffersonian principles that are uh, that are codified, I believe, in in the Declaration of Independence, and of course here in Texas, found in the Texas Declaration of Independence from 1836. So uh, this right of self government uh, is is absolutely alive and well, and I think from uh, the the perspective of people that are mourning the loss of of their rights and the loss of a constitutional republic that the United States of America used to be, uh, embracing this idea of returning to self-governing independent nation states is a welcome reprieve from that misery. Well, perhaps you should just rename Texas Ukraine, and then people might... Um, might see the, the the benefits of self determination. I'm, I'm joking there, but but you're correct. Uh, the right of self determination uh, seems to be uh, is 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 rising, uh, um, and w- when Britain does it, uh, when the United Kingdom does it, it's seen as bad. When Ukraine does it, it seems as it's seen as good. 
um, when uh, when a president gets elected in the United States, putting America first, that's bad. You know, so when a president gets elected in Ukraine, says Ukraine first, that's good. So so there is there is a rising tide of nationalism and self-determination across the world. And it's been ongoing, I suppose, since, you know, for, it's debatable how long it's been ongoing, but it's definitely there. And it's look, it's, it's the natural and not to interrupt, but look, it's the natural counterpoint to globalism. Right. So we we have had 70 plus years of globalism shoved down our throats uh, mm-hmm. that that mimic more that Stalinist central planning system in the Soviet Union than what the founders and the framers of the United States or those of Texas uh, fought for, you know, and what we're seeing here, this rise of popular nationalism around the world is really the only true counterpoint to globalism. Globalism is a cancer uh, and and you can't, you cannot have just a little bit of it. You've got to really uh, sort of put it off to the side. Otherwise, you wind up with this form of neo-Marxism that we all, I think, people like us that are freedom lovers find absolutely abhorrent. I would argue, I would argue though, that, I mean, I, my understanding of the Constitution is, and I don't want to get into that there's no real mechanism for a state to secede, is there? Uh, right. Uh, so if, if you're going to contrast it with what happened with Brexit, right, Brexit uh, was pretty simple. The people expressed their will in, in a referendum, and then there was a, an Article 50 trigger. Um, and, and that was, uh, you know, that was obviously baked into the treaty here. There is no constitutional mechanism spelled out because there didn't need to be one. Right. So just short, just to, to make it brief, what you find in article one, section 10 of the United States constitution is a list mm-hmm. of everything that states are forbidden from doing. Okay. Withdrawing is not in that list. So you have to look toward mm-hmm. the 10th amendment. The 10th amendment, I think really helps people understand the mindset of the framers of the constitution in regard to the the federal and the state relationship. And and the 10th amendment is quite simple. Any powers not granted to the federal government or prohibited to the states are reserved to the states and the people respectively. So essentially the constitution operates as a limiting document. If the document doesn't say it's under federal control or federal authority, then Mm -hmm. it is reserved to the states without question. Okay. 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 So we now have a mechanism. So we've we've agreed that it's not a historic aberration. That it could be, historically it's it's a it could it could even be seen as as an inevitable uh, part of progress. Uh, we've established a mechanism. Now, what would it look like? Would you have a national anthem? Um, would you, well, we would you play in the world? Would you play in the World Cup? I don't know. Would you be in the World Series? I don't. I tell me. From a process standpoint, you know, we, we it all starts with a vote, right? Before we even talk about what it looks like on the other side, you got to talk about what what the you know the the process to get there, and it really starts with a referendum, very much like we saw uh, in Britain with Brexit. Article One, Section Two of the Texas Constitution reserves to the people the right to reform, alter, or abolish our government in such manner as we may think expedient. So, <clears throat> our, you know, constitutionally, Texas has to put it to a vote. But beyond that, it's a matter of carrying out the will of the people of Texas. And so there are really four uh, key issues that have to be resolved post-Texas vote. Uh, They're constitutional issues, statutory issues, international covenants, treaties, and agreements, and then finally the negotiated issues with the federal system. So, uh, you know, from a constitutional perspective, we have to make some minor changes to our constitution because just like every state, we have a state constitution and it very clearly mimics and mirrors 
what would be a constitution for a self-governing independent nation. Uh, then we have statutory issues, AKA we have to build some laws around some of those constitutional changes, have to assume some of the, the programs and functions uh, that have been previously done by the federal government. Then we need to engage in international covenants, treaties, and agreements. That would be trade agreements, travel agreements, conventions on things like international air traffic control, very sort of mundane things, but, but important nonetheless. And then finally, we get to the, the negotiated issues with the federal government. For example, uh, what would a mutual defense compact look like if we were to engage in something along those lines? Uh, what would trade and travel look like between the two? Uh, banking, you know, there are some, you know, what, what's going to happen with, say, Social Security, uh, Medicare trust fund money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are things that, that yep. have to be done, but the distance between where we are and where we need to be is not nearly as great as some people would imagine. Okay, so we've established that it's, that it's a part of it could be part of a process. We've established how it can be done. We've established what will happen after it's done. Why? Why do? Why does Texas need it? Isn't Texas prosperous enough as it is? Why does Texas need to leave the United States? Leave this 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 great idea? Well, look, I'll I'll, I'll put it to you this way, right? I, I could talk about the. Um, decades-long issues with the federal government and our border with Mexico. Uh, you know, I could talk about how that's grown into an invasion. I could talk about how they've debased our money and monetary policy has tanked us. I could talk about federal uh, regulatory accumulation. I could talk about the fact that Texas overpays anywhere from 103 to $160 billion annually into the federal system. I could talk about how the federal government conspires every day to erode and destroy our fundamental God-given rights. But I'll put it to you this way, uh, in a way that's very non-Texas specific, Mm -hmm. and it's simply this. Uh, Imagine for a moment that Texas, or any state for that matter, was already a self-governing independent nation, right? We had control over our border and immigration policy. Uh, We had control over our monetary policy, our own military and defense policy. Uh, You know, we had our own embassies and passports, our own trade deals. Uh, We even had our own, uh, you know, Olympic team. Right, if you wanted uh-huh. to go that far, own soccer team as well. Yeah, our, yeah, well, yeah, we could we can go soccer too, or football, as you know they <laughs> refer to it there. Um, don't let's not have a conversation about Manchester City, okay? Uh, but anyway, that's so not, imagine all of those things were true, right? Imagine all of those things were true, and we were sitting currently in a self-governing independent nation, and instead mm-hmm. of talking about withdrawing from the union, we were talking about whether or not uh, Texas or any state should join the union. Knowing everything we know about the federal government today, today, would you vote to join? And if you wouldn't vote to join, then why in the world would you ever stay one day longer than you have to? Well, I mean, that's very similar to what happened really with the European Union, right? People joined on one basis and over a very short period of time, the European Union turned into something that it said it wasn't going to be. And it was something Britain, people don't remember this, Britain had a referendum to join the European Union back when it was a trading block in the, in 19, in the mid seventies, the, the first referendum. And they, they voted overwhelmingly to join. And uh, then the European Union became a, not a monetary, not a trade uh, block, but a monetary and political block, ever increasing union dominated by Germany. Uh, and as we see now, do- Germany is dominated by Russia. Uh, uh, so, so, the, you know, 
Britain voted, Britain would not have voted to join the European Union as it was. So they voted by a narrow majority to uh, to to leave it as it was. Um, so yeah, I can I can I can definitely see the similarities there, and I and, and I appreciate that. Um, I mean, so we've we've gone through all those steps and what it looks like. Now, but let's talk about the the hard politics of this. Mm. There's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, the biggest opposition to this won't be from big government Democrats. It'll be from Republicans in D.C. who don't want to lose Texas House, House seats and Texas senators because they'll view it as being in a permanent minority then in, in the country. I mean, by the way, which is a terrible way to view anything because you're really wiping, you know, you're you're saying we're never going to win this and it's really, you know, it's it's not you know it's it says a lot about uh, Republican politics in D.C., but they they won't they will not want this because it'll mean a they'll fear it's a permanent minority for them. You know, for look from a political standpoint, um, you know, pretty much what the voters are concerned about outside of Texas, uh, or really the the political establishment, I think speaks yeah. volumes as to what this real battle is. It's not yeah. the battle that that we've all been told it is of Democrat versus Republican. It's really the political establishment versus yes. the people. Yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah. and so when you when you look at that, you also have to remember that this is a state by state vote, right? So. Texas, the only people that are going to have a say in this referendum uh, are Texans, right? Texas voters will be the ones that ultimately make this decision because that's the way self-determination works. Now, granted, will the political establishment pour a billion dollars to, you know, initiate their own version of Project Fear on us? Absolutely. Uh, But here's what we know about support for Texas today. When we founded the TNM back in 2005, uh, support for Texas independence was in single digits. Uh, now I like to I like to remind people that even though we were in single digits, we've always polled higher than the approval rating of the U.S. Congress, which polls mm-hmm. you know their approval is somewhere right or below, right above or below that of leprosy on any given yeah. day, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know from that we well, yeah. you know we saw us cross the, benefits the threshold. Of benefits of benefits of leprosy are sometimes under. Well, it's definitely more pleasant than than Congress, right? But yeah, yeah. Tell me, you know, about we, it. Tell me about we crossed it. A, a major threshold in 2014, right? When we when we polled for the first time in third party polling, a majority of Texas Republicans, right about half of independent voters, and uh, over a third of Democrats. And then this year, when the Survey USA poll was released back in June or July, um, we showed support here in Texas of 76 percent of Republicans. 54% of Democrats and 53% of independent voters. So, uh, you know, the, the political establishment can, you know, they can want all they want to, they can not mm-hmm. like this. But the fact of the matter is, is that Texas is, is showing the way we are showing that the people, the people here in this state can make a choice of self-government. We're making a positive case for independence uh, that addresses all the fundamental grievances that we have with the federal system and we are setting example for other states where they are beginning to have this exact same conversation as to whether or not the federal system is fit for purpose for their people. Well, so tell me about that polling. Um, tell me how it went from where it was to where it is now and what that says. Tell me about the numbers. Well, look, I mean, you know, beyond the numbers, what it took was a, a lot of work. Uh, when we founded the the TNM in 2005, there was no real political advocacy organization creating pressure for this, engaging the Texas voters. 
mm-hmm. not that the sentiment wasn't there, right? I mean, Texans yeah. were some of the first people to slap us a seed bumper sticker on the back of their pickup trucks when they didn't like something that was going on with Washington, D.C. But no mm-hmm. one here in Texas was really advocating for a real political path to making it happen. So uh, one of the reasons that the TNM was founded for that purpose, to create a political framework. And so uh, we began immediately to engage Texas voters to get them, you know, help them understand the issue, that there was a legitimate path forward on this issue that was not radical, that was, you know, that was very well thought out. Uh, then four mm-hmm. years later in 2009, we began to engage legislators on the issue first with the state sovereignty issues, uh, and then on this issue. And so last session, you know, that led us to last session of the Texas legislature, getting the Texas independence referendum act actually filed and signed on to, uh, by several legislators. So, you know, when you see this sort of public sentiment, when you see the Republican party of Texas, at its convention, add two planks to its platform, this convention calling for a Texas vote. Uh, when you see the legislation filed, when you see all of the progress that we've made, um, I, I think it speaks volumes that this is no longer a hope, wish, or a dream. It's an inevitability. All we're doing now is we're discussing the time frame. How would things look differently in an independent Texas? And what would you get right? And what, you know, how would, how would it improve uh, the lives of Texans? Well, look, we uh, we'll just take we can take one issue or two issues. I mean, we can take we can make the economic case, or we can take the uh, the case that uh, of the border, right? The border and immigration pulled together for the last fifteen years have been the number one concern for Texas voters. As it stands right now, through federal mismanagement and frankly their intentional mismanagement of the border uh, situation, we're in a, we're uh, Texas is in a place right now where all of our major cities poll in the, uh, or show statistically in the top five for sex trafficking and human trafficking. Uh, Texas has become the number one state for that. We have the cartels that are effectively in control of the Rio Grande corridor. And every single solitary month, we have more illegal immigrants interdicted on our border uh, than the number of troops that landed on the beaches of Normandy at D-Day. So, you know, it is by all definition an invasion, especially one that is facilitated when, you know, when the cartels are a major participant, but is also facilitated by our tax money, right? Where the federal government is not only incentivizing um, the the invasion on our border, what they are doing is they are smoothing the path to make it happen yes. by offering inland transportation and benefits. I mean, um, you know, they're offering, they're giving illegal immigrants uh, that have, you know, crossed illegally, that have no background checks, none of these things. They're giving these guys cell phones uh, using our tax money that are probably better than the cell phones that you and I carry around, right? And and we're seeing this massive increase in crime and strain on infrastructure. So you've got this complete imbalance. Well, the only way that Texas, the only options available to Texas right now to, to deal with the situation are... Uh, declared invasion, right, which is something that that our our governor can do, deploy the the full force of the Texas Military Department down there, fully militarizing the Texas Military Department, um, and and you know uh, essentially lead down the path to a constitutional crisis because the federal government will not accept it, ultimately leading to Texas having to withdraw from the union. Or option two is capitulate and let it happen, right? There there are really no half measures that solve mm-hmm. the problem. So, you know, you look at what Texas can do as a self-governing independent nation. Both of those paths lead to the inevitable conclusion that the only way 
that we can secure our borders and come up with a sane immigration policy uh, is to become a self-governing independent nation because that is a right of every self-governing independent nation to manage its borders. Uh, the thing I know Texas for the most recently, because we did a lot of work on fracking in the past and energy, uh, was Texas's, Texas has its own independent energy grid. Um, but a few years ago, the lights almost went out in Texas. Um, and this was something that they were in charge of. Maybe you're going to tell me something different. But to me, it's not a good sign that we can trust Texas Republicans or Tex, you know, that, that, that the independence of Texas is a panacea to all your ills. Uh, the lights almost went out. A hundred people died in Texas where yeah. there's oil literally sitting in a puddle over there. You couldn't keep the lights on. And I, I know why you couldn't keep the lights on. And it was the, 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 the embrace of re renewables, the embrace of um, silly ideas, the, the embrace to look virtuous, the, the, all, all, you know, many, there was many reasons, but these were Texans who did it. Or perhaps you're going to tell me something different, but why wouldn't what happened to the power grid happen to other parts of Texas infrastructure or economy? Well, so let's let's break down Snowpocalypse 2021, right? So mm -hmm. we understand and, and are accurately talking about the problem. <clears throat> so you have you have an issue there yes. where the federal government fundamentally upset the market forces that deal with the energy production and distribution here in Texas, like they do everything else, right? The federal right. government's motto should be one size fits none. So back during the Obama administration, when they started pushing out green energy subsidies, uh, what happened was that all of these private companies that were engaging in power generation projects that were either coal-fired or gas-fired wound up shuttering those projects because uh, renewable energy was subsidized by the federal government to the point that those companies and their power generation could not compete, right? So you go back to that era during the Obama administration and you see a slew of power generation projects, either coal-fired or gas-fired, that were shuttered or canceled because those companies would not have been able to compete in the market in power generation. So because the federal government put their thumb on the scale and they took tax money and they made the renewables uh, the, you know, the, the dominant market, where, where's the market going to go? They're going to go where the money is because that's but, what the power generation was, was coming but just from. To, yeah. I, you know, but just to interrupt you, sorry to interrupt you, but okay. didn't Texas offer subsidies to the, and just to explain to people what happened was during snowpocalypse was the windmills froze uh, and uh, renewables were I think at 20 or 30% of the gen power generation. And basically they, they stopped producing and Texas didn't have enough in reserve to, to fill the gap and people died, but didn't Republican, didn't Texas, the state subsidize uh, renewables as well? Again, that, that could be an entirely uh, an entire other uh, discussion, right? Just yes. about that. But a, a good, no, no, believe me, believe me. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm regret. I don't like just talking about it in, in brief like this, but I'm just trying to use it as an example sure. of how um, good people can follow bad ideas, uh, and sh that perhaps a tax that isn't so isn't a panacea. But go, go ahead. Sure. So we have to remember that a, a good chunk of that policy that was offered by the state of Texas was not just direct subsidies from the state. 
but was also meant to give a mechanism for municipalities, for all these people to capture federal money, right? So that's, that is uh, ultimately money is always at the heart of issues like this. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, one of the things that people don't understand related to the overpayment uh, that Texas taxpayers make into the federal system is that all of that money that comes back into Texas, the vast majority that comes directly to the state of Texas or its political subdivisions comes either as matching funds or with massive strings attached. And so when you deal with these, you know, like that, the whole green energy subsidies from the federal government, so much of what Texas tried to implement was an attempt to recapture those tax dollars and bring them back into Texas. So, you know, look, there are greedy politicians here too. Uh, You know, we don't promise utopia on the other side of this. But we also have to remember that so much of what happens, not just in Texas, but in every other state, happens uh, because our politicians at this level get to hide under the skirt of Washington, D.C. They either get to scapegoat it or because all of that circus in D.C. sucks all of the air out of the room, all of the oxygen, and all the attention's focused there. Very little attention is given to these people in, in say, our states or our county governments or whatever. So you remove the federal government from the equation. You have them uh, no longer picking and choosing winners with our tax money. You have that circus no longer being part of the 24-hour news cycle. You have a renewed focus and attention of the Texas voters. And then things like that don't happen. Uh, we we can we have to remember that when we talk about things like Snowpocalypse 2021, or the border, or any of those things, the central player in every single one of those things is the federal government. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, I funny. I don't know enough about um, about snowpocalypse to, to, but I, I, you know, I do think there was a lot of joint culpability by Texas politicians. Well, um, absolutely. Look, I, I'm not giving our guys a get out of jail free card. Um, you know, it, we, we look to the governor and the lieutenant governor here and, and the legislature, and, and we see that they, they uh, shoulder a fair amount of the burden. You know, the, the board yeah. that makes up the Texas grid, which is ERCOT, the, you know, the, ERCOT. the, the, the right, ERCOT, half of the board pre-snowpocalypse were people that didn't even live in Texas. Right, including the, I believe it was the vice chair of the board of ERCOT, <laughs> who's who's best known for his academic work in the carbon credit uh, trade auction. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. so uh, yep. yeah, there there were some there were some massive mistakes, and our people will pay an ultimate penalty, a political penalty for that. But at the end of the day, when you look at the federal government's uh, culpability in that issue, how do we here in Texas address that? Well, we don't. We only we only get. 38 congressmen, we get two senators, and that's, that is the say that we have. Uh, yeah. it, it becomes a math problem at that point, and we're not allowed or able to solve Texas challenges with Texan solutions without, uh, without outside interference. Okay, Daniel, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been very interesting. I'd love to have more time to discuss snowpocalypse and, and uh, you know, actually how this would look in practice. Um sure. But I think you've given a lot of people a lot to think about. So the book is Texas, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union by Daniel Miller. I assume you can buy it on Amazon and all good it's bookstores. It's been a full-time bestseller on Amazon, surprisingly, four different times. So, um, 
yeah, right. they, they can check out the book there. Or if, if they have more questions about Texit, uh, I encourage people to go to the website, texitnow.org, where we have the 100 most asked questions and answers about Texit uh, there at that website. What's Twitter? What Twitter? Where would people find you on Twitter? Oh, they can find me at uh, the Texian DM. <laughs> the Texian T E X I A N D M. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank Bye. you for having me. Appreciate it. There you go. I mean, I know, look, people laughed at Brexit. So let's not laugh at Texas. I just wonder if. Um, if it'll be the panacea that Daniel Miller thinks it will be, and if the money that they save from the uh, from the federal, the, what they say is the federal overspend, or the fact they give to the federal government that they don't get back, I wonder if it'll be put to good use when it comes back to Texas. Let's see. Now, if to finish today, uh, a, ni- a nice wedding story. You know, listen, wedding registries—they're just—they're just wonderful. This is from the New York Times. When Jen McCartney. And Jay Balagna, Balagna made a registry for their wedding. Among the typical items they included, <laughs> plates, towels, tablecloths, was a less traditional request. Donations to the National Network of Abortion Funds. Miss McCarthy, 32, a comedy writer, and Mr. Balagna, a doctoral candidate at the party Rand Graduate School, said raising money for abortion access as part of their wedding was a way to honour their mother, Karen Blumenthal, a journalist and author of Jane Jane Against the World, Roe Weave Wade and the Fight for Reproductive Rights, who died in 2020. But the couple who live in Los Angeles were also motivated to request donations by what they said was the more urgent case than furnishing their homes as newlyweds, protecting access to abortion. You're getting married, and presumably you're going to have children. And you think, can you actually, can you think of a way, a way to start your married life to say, you know, one thing we want to state right from the beginning is uh, we're we're in favour of killing babies in the womb up to nine months, which is the law in many states in America now. Also, it's in honour of their mother who had them so didn't have an abortion so they're honoring a mother by supporting abortion okay also like what kind of bubble do you live in where everyone that you're inviting to your wedding uh, you think they will support this and have no problem with this and surely there must be someone in your families who does not agree with this and you and it's not like uh, supporting immigration or not supporting immigration or lower tax or higher tax. This is a deeply moral issue to many people. Many people believe this is a killing of an innocent human being. So what kind of bubble are you in that you think that that is an appropriate way to start your married life? Um, the article goes on and on. But as Dennis Prager said, uh, leftists ruin everything. They ruin wedding registries. They It'll be very interesting to see the midterms, to see whether this constant harping on about abortion has any influence, or is it a liberal bubble? I mean, look at the people. It's almost like they're almost like a parody of of, of a far leftist couple. Jen McCartney, a comedy writer, and Mr. Melania, a doctoral candidate, who and she's the mother of a journalist who wrote 
Jane Against the World. No, she's the daughter of a journalist who wrote Jane Against the World, Roe versus Wade, and the fight for reproductive rights. Uh, look, I will be very, very... I, I, I don't have an answer to this, and it'll be very, very interesting to see if this is just an obsession of the upper middle classes. Uh, or is it a real topic for Americans? Do they do they care about the end of Roe versus Wade? I don't have an answer to it. I'll be very, very interested after the November elections. I know the people who fear it the most are not the Democrats. They are, in fact, the uh, Republicans who are scared of this issue. Um, and many Republicans who claim to be pro-life, they were pro-life because, they said they were pro-life because they could stand they could cower behind the Supreme Court. Well, Roe versus Wade, we could pass pro-life laws, but there's nothing we can do about it because uh, the Supreme Court have, have said abortion is a constitutional right. It'll just get overturned. Now they have to stand up. Now they have to take the slings and arrows from the liberal media nationally and the liberal media locally and people like Miss McCartney and all these people who will protest outside their houses. This is a time when we will see Republicans have backbones uh, I fear they have all been surgically removed uh, whilst running for Congress or Senate. Let's see. The next few months should be very interesting. And just a reminder before I go, please buy the Hunter Biden, the My Son Hunter DVD. It's uh, mysonhunter.com. Uh, this is the gift that you will want to give to, at Thanksgiving, the gift you'll want to give at Christmas, the gift you'll want to give anytime for birthdays, bar mitzvahs. You name it. A wedding registry. Give it to the married couple. My God, come on. So go to mysonhunter.com. You can download it for streaming. You can send it, by the way. You can put it in someone else's email and send it to them as a gift as well. But you can also send the DVD. So mysonhunter.com. Thank you. Next week, it'll be myself and Anne. I'm sure you'll all be glad to hear that. Uh, Let's uh, looking forward to that. All the best. Bye.